Good morning. Okay, so before we get into the message today, you know me, I like Proverbs. Today's the 16th, so I chose verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Okay, that, you know, that's always a reminder to me. Okay, Terry, you think you know I have a plan here. Make sure it's God and not, because um, it isn't good. Anyway, so today we're starting a new series, and um, we're going to tackle some, of, some, some pretty relevant issues that are kind of circulating around in our culture and uh, I'm going to talk about one that, um, it's starting today, that where Jesus calls the church, I really think, to be a part of the solution to this issue. And, and there's, a, there's a passage in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus has this encounter with, um, with a guy, and it says an expert in the law, Luke chapter 10. Uh, we would call that person a lawyer. And um, this expert in the law comes to Jesus, and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Great question. And Jesus loves those kinds of questions. Have you ever noticed sometimes when Jesus is asked a question, he doesn't answer that question. Instead, he answers the question he wished they would have asked. Anyway, here's one he wanted to be asked. It was a great one. And, um, and Jesus tells this guy um, how to love your neighbor. And, and uh, when he does it, he squares off with an issue, a problem that is in our news every single day. And it comes from all points on the compass. And the issue is racism. And Jesus gets, gets right in the middle of that. And, and I, I want to just, just right now start off with a little bit of you know, full disclosure with you. Um, I've lived and been raised my entire life pretty much in, in and around people of my own race. So um, that's just, that's just, I didn't pick where I was born or, I mean, that's not, you know, it's not, not volitional. It's just my environment. So I haven't necessarily had the experiences that some of us in this room may have had. Um, and so I'm going to do my very best, though, with my heart as best as I can to, to wade into the middle of this. And um, because I really think that Jesus wants his followers to be part of the solution here and to show the way to love other people. So, so this expert in the law asks Jesus this question. Here we are in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start out in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus saying, teacher, notice there that he's already got a motive. This guy's got a motive. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus does what he often does. He answers a question with a question, you know, which is a great parenting technique, by the way. For those of you who are parents and you want to um, raise your children and they ask the wrong question, teach them the correct question to ask. Anyway, so he says to him, Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? What does God's word say about this? Oh, I love that answer. That's a great one. What's your reading of it? Verse 27. So the lawyer answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said, says back to him, he says, you've answered rightly. Ding, 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 ding. Right answer. Give this man a cigar, I guess, or something like that. He says, maybe there wasn't a cigar. I don't know. Um, he says, but do this and, you'll have, and you will live. Go and live it. Go do that. Now, this guy knows, he knows he's, he's supposed to love his neighbor. And then he asks this very pointed, very specific <laughs> clarifying lawyerly type question verse 29 but he wanting to justify himself wanted to prove he was a good guy <laughs> he says to Jesus but who's my neighbor I'm supposed to love people but exactly who exactly 
do I have to love? It's a great question. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I, I, I need to know, though, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because I'm going to love them, i got to know. In other words, Jesus, do I have to love the people who listen to the wrong kind of music? Do, you know, it isn't even real music, Jesus. Do I have to listen to love those people? Do I? Lisa and I pulled into the gas station to get gas the other day, and this couple in a pickup truck drove in, <laughs> and it was going boom, 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 boom. And I kind of liked the music. It sounded really good from where I was, which was outside the car and a ways away. And I, I got out, and I thought, you know, I want to see what these people look like. And they had a pickup truck with a window in the back that opened. And the music was just pouring out of the back window. And this is man and this woman in the car, and they're yelling at each other. Now, they're not angry at each other. They're this far apart, but they can't hear each other. <laughs> I'm going to pump the gas! You know, it's like, anyway, I know that's completely has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Do I have to love people who do that, listen to that music, and make everybody... Do, do I have to love them? Do I have to... Wait a second here, Jesus. Do I have to love people that are going to vote in a different spot on the ballot then I want them to. Because people that do that, Lord, they're actually evil. Do I have to? (laughs) Do I have to love them too? I mean, that's, come on. That's what we think. That's what people on both sides of the political spectrum think. But I'm not going to go there because that would be professional suicide. Okay, so, God, what about people? Do I have to love them if they have like, Weird hair or, or scary tattoos? What if they got like a piercing in their nose or their lip or their forehead? Or what if they're pierced someplace that's covered up by their underwear? Did I just say that in church? Do I have to love those people too, Jesus? Because I'm just not all that comfortable. What if they talk different? What if there's an, there's an accent? What if they, they don't even know my language? What? What about if their skin looks a different shade than mine? Who does it include? Love my neighbor, Jesus. Who do I actually have to love? And Jesus doesn't really answer the question who his neighbor is, who, do, who does he love, in the way that the lawyer wants him to. Instead, Jesus teaches how to love his neighbor, assuming with, he's basically in the teaching here too, but he's teaching that everybody is your neighbor. And then he shows us a specific how to do that. So the story goes on in verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing. Fell among means he was attacked there. Stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay, so here's... We've got this Jewish man now laying on the roadside. He's in tough physical shape, and if he doesn't get medical attention, he's going to die. Verse 31. Now, by chance, a certain priest, this would be a Jewish priest, came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Ooh, I'm going to go walk past that on the other side of the road. Walk past him. Um... On the other side. Now, I, I look at that and, okay, maybe there's some explanation here because a priest, if he was to touch a dead guy, he would become ceremonially unclean and he couldn't go into the temple that day. So he couldn't do his job. 
And so you might be able to make a case to give the priest a pass. But before you get there, Jesus didn't give him a pass. He, he, this guy made the story, right? So nevertheless, here's a wounded Jewish person on the ground. He's going to die if he doesn't get help. The priest goes by him. Not good. In verse 32, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So this guy's also Jewish, and he, he goes right past him as well. And then Jesus says these words that in this culture would have been jaw-dropping. I mean, it would have been like, what, what, what did you just say? Okay, um, verse 35, but a certain Samaritan, not a Jewish person, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion Verse 34, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. I need to study that at some point. Why do you use the wine? I don't know. Uh, And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, if it takes more than this two denarii to fix this guy up, I'll pay you the difference when I get back. Give them, when I come again, I will repay you. So which one of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Wow. Now, why was this so shocking? This, you know, but he says, but a Samaritan man went to help the Jewish. Why? The reason this is so shocking was that the Jews hated the Samaritans. They had, you know, and, and vice versa. They hated each other, and they'd had this hate festival going on for 700 years. I mean, there was race war almost going on here. They just, um, and, and the reason was about 700 years before when the nation had been conquered and, and many of the Jewish people were carried off to um, a foreign land, some people got left behind. They didn't all get taken. And so the ones that got carried away, were kind of ticked that the other people got to stay. So it started with that. But it goes on. The people that stayed ended up intermarrying with some of the people in the, in the region outside of their race. And the people they intermarried with were worshiping pagan gods. And what happened over time was they would produce children, and the children were raised to, to in many cases, worship pagan gods. So the Jews here were kind of like, you're just bad people. And, and then, of course... Uh, you know, they hated the offspring, they hated them all. And, and of course, the Samaritans did what we do, which is if somebody hates you, your natural response is just to hate right back at them, right? I mean, it's, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just saying it's human nature. If somebody pushes you, the reaction normally isn't to back up and give them space. It's to push back. At least that's my immature response. I mean, maybe different. But um, And so, so, so here... And this has been going on, and you know it's been happening for 700 years. And the Samaritan guy, who who would have, you know, been hated by the Jewish guy on the ground, he did one simple act. Instead of walking away, he crosses the street and he takes pity on a human being. A human being, and even though he was from a different race, he showed love to this man that was in need. Now, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was, it's a windy road, goes down in elevation, drops over the course of that distance, maybe 1,200 feet. So it's got a lot of stuff going on in gullies, and and it's a perfect place for ambushes. In fact, at the time of Jesus, it was known as the Bloody Pass. 
Okay, so it was, it was, it was kind of a, a, a... I think Jesus used this location in his illustration to say this was a dangerous place to be. And maybe these two Jewish guys who went by were afraid. You know, maybe the guy's faking. And when I bend over to help him, he's going to grab me by the throat and kill me, you know, or something. I don't know. Um, you know, I mean... And, and when, when Dr. Martin Luther King preached on this particular passage one time, and he made a couple of great observations about it, he said, he said, you know, the priest and the Levite may have been thinking this, if I stop to help this guy, what will happen to me? What will happen to me? Which is natural. But he goes on to suggest that the Samaritan may have been thinking and flops at 180 degrees. He says, if I don't stop to help this guy, what's going to happen to him? And that, is, that way of thinking is in so many ways the heart of the gospel. It's, you know, it's love God and love others. And, and even if they're different from us, and, and some people might argue specifically even, if, even when they are, different than us. You know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, Dr. King, um, Lisa and I were in Atlanta a number of years ago, and, and I, I, I hadn't really learned much about him. I grew up remembering when he was leading marches and so forth. I was a little guy, and I remember hearing, him in, in, hearing about him in the news and didn't really get it until I decided to look into it a little bit. And uh, he was a pretty terrific character, uh, and, I, and I don't mean character as in odd. I mean, he was a man of real character. And um, I'm happy to have a holiday named for him anyway. Th- so he's, he's famous for this speech. You know, I have a dream. That I have a dream speech. I have a dream that one day my children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but instead by the content of their character. Great dreaming. He was a great dream. And there's a passage about another dreamer in Genesis 37. And the story here is about Joseph. And Joseph had had some dreams deposited in his soul by God, and they were equally abrasive dreams to the culture. Okay? Here's Martin Luther King with his dreams, and he was, his, his dreams were abrasive in the culture. He was, he was preaching that, and Joseph had shared some dreams, and his culture was his family. And <laughs> there was not a lot of receptivity in his family. Verse uh, 17, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. His brothers are going to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. You know, parents are saying, yeah, our kids are always fighting, but this is at a whole new level, right? Let's, let's kill him, throw him in the cistern, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And, and that's a really, really common theme throughout history. You know, there are people who have believed and thought that they could kill a dream by slaying the dreamer. And um, as both Joseph and Dr. King, their lives would show, that never works. Anyway, so um, I, I look at this and I. I, I think this shows us that racism, that racism isn't born. Racism's taught. It's not, it's not born. It's not inherited. There's no racist gene. It's not born. It's taught. You know, if you have any two-year-olds in your life, they don't, they don't hate people. 
You know what they hate? They hate nap time. That's what they hate. They don't, they don't, they don't, you know, racism is taught. It's, it's, it's not inherited. And I, I consider, you know, what are the reasons that people become racist over time? And, and I can think that there are several reasons, and I'll just maybe touch on a couple of them, just you know, blow past us. You know, maybe they're the victim, victim of some hatred at some point. Somebody mistreats us or, you know, because of the color of our skin or because of some cultural reason, some, or maybe somebody that we love gets mistreated. And then we start feeling like, well, we can't trust that group. Or therefore, I don't like them and they don't like me. Here's another reason. It's taught. It's taught. It's handed down from generation to generation. I was talking with someone before church today and there was you know, a special on TV about the KKK and, and there was this image and you know, little tiny children in the garb. You know, and, um, you know, and, and they're taught, you know, our family doesn't hang around with those kinds of people and we don't, they don't hang around with us and, um, because they're not like us. Here's a third reason why that racism can grow. It's just plain old-fashioned ignorance. You know, it's a lack of perspective or, or exposure. You know, and then... You know, well, they're, they're different, so maybe I just am not supposed to like something that's di- different. I, I don't know. No matter what the reason, I think that we need to own this truth, and that's the, that racism is not a skin issue. Racism is a heart issue. And I want to, that was my warm up to kind of get you prepared for, for the more direct way I want to say it. Racism is not a skin issue, racism is a sin issue. Racism is a sin. James 2 verse 9 says this, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. You know, I like you because you look like me. I, I, my kids can play with your kids because your kids look like my kids. All of my friends are one way, but you know, you're kind of different, so you just go over there. You know, or you listen to terrible music, or you talk different, or, you know... You've got different color skin. Anytime we act like that, this is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. It's not right before God. And it can't be right before us. And that raises this question, you know, this great question that Jesus was, this is a great story. He was intentionally waiting right into the middle of the, the heat on this, you know. How are we called to love our, our neighbors? How are we called to love those who are maybe a little bit different than us. And I think with God's help, we can do that. And so I'm going to give you, um, address three, three little topics here, how to love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and these are important, and, um, and I think it'll help us if, if we can be honest and transparent and sincere. Okay, number one is I think we need to recognize our prejudices. Recognize our prejudice. And, and this is going to be really difficult because many times prejudice is really, really hard to see in the mirror. They're really hard to see. I mean, we often feel justified um, how we might feel about somebody, but even if our, our prejudice mindset or our, our, or an attitude, if it's racist, um, it isn't intentional, it's still real, and we don't get it out. It's still a sin. So, um, you know, as, we, as I use the word prejudice, let me, you know, it's, it can be a, a, a kind of an inflammatory word, so I just want to say, what does the word prejudice mean? It comes from two Latin words. It basically means prior judgment. Judgment in advance. So in other words, it's, it's an assessment. It's preconceived opinion, um, not based on reason or your own experience. And, and here's the deal. Because we are sinful people, 
we're, and we're predisposed to, to make the wrong judgment about people. We're predisposed there. And um, Samuel, Samuel, there's a great illustration here for Samuel. He's, he's been called by God, go anoint a king. Hasn't given him his name. He's just said, here, go over to this family. I'll show you who it will be. And, um, and um, Samuel sees the first member of this family, the first one of the sons, who's tall and handsome and, you know, I want to say all-American, but this wasn't America. That would be racist on my part to say it was all-American. So, so, but he, he sees this guy, he says, this has got to be it, Verse First uh, Samuel 16, starting in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Now, what's amazing here was, wasn't just that you're looking in the wrong ways, but even God's prophet had a prejudice here. You catch that? This is the guy who God was using to lead his nation. This guy was like all that or something. I don't know how to say it. But even this guy had a prejudice that he carried into a a holy task that the Lord sent him to do. And God trusted him to do it knowing he had a prejudice. Still going to use him. And the Lord, he says, 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 for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We come this way. We, this is how we come out of the womb. We, we have a bent, and it's a first response, and because that's true about us, and, and we know it, we have to hard, work hard to search our hearts and to find blind spots, you know? Maybe, maybe you grew up believing some things about groups of people. Maybe you grew up thinking that rich people were all dishonest and greedy, or something. I mean, maybe you grew up thinking that heavy people were lazy. Or you, you, you grew up thinking that the, the, the current generation, does, the youngest generation, they don't want to work. They expect to be given, or, or here's one that I hear, church pastors, all they want to do is control people and their money. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And there are some that do that. But it's a prejudice, you know, and, you know, or, or something like this, you know, old people, which is anybody over 25, <laughs> they don't understand. They have no idea what's going on in life. I used to say that when I was a young person, <laughs> you know, or whatever. I mean, there's even movies, white guys can't jump, whatever. I don't know what it is, but you grew up thinking <laughs> certain things about certain people. And we need to, 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 be, to have the, the temerity to acknowledge that and to own it and admit it and say, I, uh, I might be a little bit prejudiced about some things in my life. You know, and if you've ever said the, sa- se- the sentence, if you've ever said this sentence, you know, I'm not racist, but stop right there because nothing good will come out of that sentence. Nothing. Nothing good will come out. I'm not racist, but, and off comes this this explanation that really is more about justifying why you are. Why your prejudice is okay. We just need to acknowledge our own prejudice. I mean, here's something, I mean, this is a little bit challenging to me. I don't want to, I, I have a tendency to be transparent with you about my failings in life, but I'm not proud of this. But, you know, making an assessment at, because of the color of somebody's skin, I've done it. I mean, Lisa and I were on an airplane recently, and a few rows away is a person sitting there who, by my assessment, looked like looked more Arabic than I do, 
And um, I could see people on the plane making eye contact with each other and whispering and looking at this, at this guy. And you know what every one of them was thinking. Is this guy going to jump up and try and steal the plane? You know, I mean, I mean, I mean, and after 9-11, I guess you could, you know, people would say, well, that's understandable. There's a history here and, you know, you can call it what you want. But a group of non-Arabic people were making an assessment about somebody because of the color of their skin. Plain load of them. And if this guy had been, you know, African-American or Caucasian-American or Native American, Native Indian American. I mean, if he had been any of those other things, nobody would have been wondering if he was going to steal the plane. Whole plane load, a group of people. It takes courage and honesty and integrity to recognize and to own prejudices and, 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 and racism and then to admit it before God and, and to repent of it. Okay, so number one, we're going to acknowledge our prejudices. Number two, we want to seek to understand others. Seek to, and, I, and I, like I said before, I've got a limited perspective, and I know that. I, I, and I, I know that um, I have not experienced what others have experienced when it comes to being abused and hurt and rejected. But it does help me to dialogue with people who have been um, to experience some different things. Back when um, um, I was, I was one of those young people, and um, and I played basketball a little bit in school, and. And um, you know how guys, well, if you're not a guy, you wouldn't know how guys do this, but um, I will just tell you ladies who aren't guys. Um, um, guys just will do stuff, bravado, among guys, you know, and they get, we get into some things, and I just remember uh, on, in basketball, um, you, 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 you could become a knit group and you do things, and we use slang basketball guys and we would use slang and back then we would have names for people and the name was generic it wasn't like they called me a name and somebody else like jack forgive me if any of you here are named jack but um you know it was like hey jack you know and everybody would be called jack you're looking at me like we were like i'm nuts none of you remember that hey jack okay another thing that all of us guys on this basketball team would refer to each other as boy nice shot boy and there was nothing intended by it. It wasn't denigrating. It was just the cool thing. Somebody said it. It seemed cool. So now we all do it. What's cool? Hey, Jack. Hey, boy. Da, 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 da. Okay. Fast forward. Now, mind you, this is a, a group of, of um, kids from South Sound area, all white, in an almost completely all white school. That's the context. There's nothing intentional about this. There's no, nobody's calculated it and thought through that it could ever be offensive to anybody to call someone else Jack or boy. Fast forward to summertime. Um, almost the entire team goes to the Bob Hubriggs basketball camp up on Whidbey Island. Who's Bob Hubriggs? He was a great basketball player from the University of Washington. The only time the team ever went to the Final Four. Okay. Sorry, of you, sorry for you Cougar fans, but the Huskies did go to the Final Four once in like 1903 or something. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, so there's this basketball camp, and for the first time, we're scrimmaging with players from outside of our little white community. And there are black basketball players on the court. And so we're scrimmaging, and we're doing our thing, and nobody's thinking something. And um, one of these other players makes a, a, a terrific shot. And one of the guys on my team says, nice shot, boy. Wow. It went from a competitive, fun, 
scrimmage to almost a race, a race riot right there on the court. All of a sudden, there were 10 players that were nose to nose. Five of them knew why, and five of them had no idea why. And then coaches and other players, and all of a sudden, there's a mob on this basketball court. And we had no idea. No idea. Now, in case you don't know why, the term boy is a racist, derogatory term spoken to a, a black male. Because for years, they were treated. For, for a, a black man with his children present to be addressed by someone else as boy was dishonorable. It was racist. It was just terrible. We didn't know. And so when we did know, when we did figure it out, I got angry. <laughs> I got petulant about it. You know what? Our hearts were right. This is your problem. Now, I'm not proud of that, okay? I'm going to tell you that. That's, that's what I thought then. We said an innocent word. If you've got a problem with it, it is your problem. And that was even worse. I've grown a little bit and gotten a little bit, a little bit wiser and more mature. And now I look back at that and I realize I didn't mean to be, but I was being a little bit racist there. You know, that was your problem. This is your people's problem. Our hearts are right. And here's the thing. We, even though we were doing, it was a compliment. Nice shot. Even though it was intended to build him up and to encourage him, it touched an absolutely raw, tender nerve. And it went, ouch. It hurt him. Now, have you ever really wounded and hurt someone you love and you didn't know it? What do you do? Do you say, suck it up, I didn't mean it? Or do you go, oh, I am so sorry. I had no idea I was going to wound you. I didn't mean to. Please forgive me. What, which one of those do you do? Well, you don't do the second one if you're an adolescent basketball player and you think you're right. <laughs> you just don't. Verse 33, and when he saw him, he had compassion. There's the meaning well part. But in Jesus' story, it doesn't end there because meaning well isn't enough. Verse 34, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds and took care of him. We have to have the compassion and go across the street to bandage the wounds. You know, um, the terms black or African-American, um, I want to do, I want to say the right thing. I don't know what's the right thing. I, I'm willing to use the right words because words matter, and I didn't know. So in my study this week, I, I thought, well, I'll look it up. And you know, if you're in the journalism industry, if you work for the New York Times or the LA Times or CNN or Fox News or something, they all have what's called a style guide, okay? If you're an employee of theirs, a reporter of theirs, and you're using, if you're reporting on something, they have what's called a style guide. You will use these kinds of words to describe these circumstances, Here's the thing. If you go to the LA Times and the New York Times, which are on the opposite sides of the country, they will give you opposite directions. One will tell you to use the word black. The other one will tell you to use the word African-American. I'm willing to use the word, but here's the problem. Let me just take that problem a little bit more. There was a, there was a newscast not too awfully long ago. Um, a CNN reporter was in Paris reporting about an event occurring in Paris with people in Paris. Some of those people were black. 
but because of her company's style guide, she referred to them as African-Americans. Okay, so the broadcast came back to the United States, but it also broadcasted in Europe. So you're a German watching a story unfold in Paris, and an American reporter is describing these people as African-Americans. And you're going, what? What does, what does America have to do with this? So what might seem to make sense and be politically correct or sensitive or appropriate in one person's eyes could be completely irrelevant and U.S.-centric to someone in Germany. I, I could just tell you this. I don't have an answer for you to this, except here's what the style guides kind of agree on. Use the term that the person would prefer. Anyway, I mean, I, I think words are, here's another one, and I have done a little bit of survey about this, and I want to do right. And here's one in our community. Our community has many people who are part of, for example, of the Shehalis tribe. Do, do they want to be called Native Americans or Indians or American Indians or Shehalis or Native? I mean, I think there are people who want to do right. The, the problem is that you will talk to different people and they will have different preferences. If you talk to, I, I read one statement made by a, 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 an elder in the Lakota Nation. He said, I'm an Indian. Don't call, me, don't call me an American Indian. Don't call me a Native. I am an Indian. And I've heard, the, I mean, it's all over the map. So what do you do? You try to honor the person. It's, it's more about what's in your heart, and you've got to work at it. So what do we do as Jesus followers? Um, we're going to recognize the prejudices, and we're going to seek to understand those who might be different than us. And number three, we're going to love those who are different than us. Love them deeply and love them from the heart. In 1996, um, you might remember this because it, it made the news and it got into life. The Ku, Klux, the Ku Klux Klan was having a rally in Michigan. And, of course, the police knew that there were going to be, you know, the, the, the Klan members, and there were going to be protesters against the Klan. So they put up barricades in between, and there was a lot of people, and there was a lot of shouting going on, and um, as you can expect, there was a lot of division. And somehow, a guy got on the protester side, the, non, the, non-cluck, the, non-clan, <laughs> the non-clan side, and this guy had on a Confederate T-shirt, and he had Nazi tattoos and um, the wrong side of the barrier to be on in a lot of ways. <laughs> and um, somebody, I, somebody sees this and yells, Nazi, kill him! And something happened, and a mob mentality broke out. And they surrounded him, and they started hitting him and beating him and kicking him and nearly killed him. And um, an 18-year-old African-American um, girl named Keisha Thomas threw her body over this man to protect him. Now, this photo is a famous photo. It made a photo of the year for Life magazine, or, yeah, one of the big magazines like that in that year. And I you have to leave it up there for a minute if you, if you don't mind. You know, you've got to ask yourself the question, what in the world would cause a young girl to put herself at physical risk like this. I mean, you know, to protect a man who most likely would have wanted to do harm to her if he had the opportunity. Who, who does that? Who, who does something like that? Well, in this case, I can tell you who does it. It's a committed follower of Christ, you know. 
you know, she's, she's a committed Christian and her faith, she said later that her faith played a big role in this and a couple of the comments that she made were, you know, you can't beat goodness into a person. Wow, good one. And here's, here's what touched me though. She said, I knew what it was like to be hurt. The many times that it happened, I wish someone would have stood up for me. What did, what did this girl do? What did this brave young girl do? She saw him and she had compassion and she took care of him. She chose to protect another human being who very likely would have wished her harm. That's how you love your neighbor. I mean, there it is right there. Now, this woman, you know, this was in 96, and she's gained, a, because of this probably, she's gained a national platform, and she speaks, you know, out on racial reconciliation. Oh, that's singing. We love the sound of little ones. Sweet. Um, but she has this platform, and, um, you know, she's, she's got my attention. She deserves to be heard. She's, she's you know, and... Um, She's, she's talking about how you don't have to do big things to show love to people. And she says that the biggest thing you can do is just be kind to another human being. It can come down to eye contact or a smile. It doesn't have to be a huge monumental act. Man, I respect that. I want to do that. It's just showing love and decency and honor and respect and consideration. It's just treating another human being like a human being. It's just showing the love of Jesus. In fact, I think racism isn't just the presence of hatred. It's the absence of love. It's, it, it, it's not just the presence. It can be the absence of showing, you know, I, I respect you. I, I accept you. I embrace you. You're my brother. You're my sister. And I love you. It's not just the presence of hatred. It, it's the absence of love or, or the absence of touch or embrace or, or saying you're welcome here. How's the world going to know that we are followers of Jesus? If you're a student of the word, you know what the Bible, it doesn't say that they'll know you're a follower of Jesus because you have perfect theology. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that they'll know you're a follower of Jesus because you have perfect attendance in church. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say because you give money. It doesn't say that that's how, it doesn't say because you've been baptized. It doesn't say any of those things where it says that they'll know we're followers of Jesus if we have love one for another. Not moving, not just loving um, people who look like us or were born where we were born or, you know, the same color skin, but if we have love for one another. So who's our neighbor? I think our neighbor is the next person you're going to come in contact with. The next person. You know, I think, how do you love them? Well, you love them the same way you've been loved. You, you know, how, how did Jesus love me? Well, while I was still a sinner, this messy, problematic child he died on the cross for me. That's how he loved me. He didn't die for us because we were good. You know that Christ died for us because he's good. He loved me when I didn't deserve it. And because I, I just feel like because I've been freely loved, I need to freely love as well. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what your background is. You are welcome in the family of Christ. I'm saying that to every one of you and everybody you know, all of them. You're welcome. In the, you're welcome here, and you're loved. You just really are, really loved here. 
So we do what this Samaritan did for this Jewish man. We go to him and we extend this arm of love. That's how we love our neighbor. And I love what Paul said in Galatians 3. He said, you know, and there was, when, when Paul said this, made this comment, there was a lot of racial tension that was going on. And he said, you know, it was revolving around who can we allow to be a Christian? That was, there was a, you know, well, you can, but not the gen, you know, there was a lot of racial tension going on. Who's going to be allowed to be a Christian? And it was the early days. And Paul says this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Christ Jesus. God loves Asian Americans and African Americans and Latin Americans and Native Americans and Caucasian Americans, even Americans with cats. <laughs> even them, God loves. That's how God, good God, God is. And, and when we get to heaven, there are going to be all races there. You realize that, right? Don't know about cats. <laughs> Just don't know. Um, but, but John had this vision um, of heaven, and um, he wrote it down. And it, it, it is from the Revelation. By the way, the book is named The Revelation. No S. People in this church are going to be, they're going to say it right. It's Revelation. Okay, it's not Revelations. Okay, little pet peeve. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. Therefore, before me was a great multitude. Now, this is this vision he's seeing. Before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God. You know, if we can spend eternity together, we can sure sit down and have a hamburger together. I mean, racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And because it's unacceptable to God, it's got to be unacceptable to us. That's why. That's why. There's one little phrase statement on our church logo, and you may have seen it, where this is a place where anyone can embrace Jesus. Now, this particular slide, I intentionally dimmed down the background because I'm not here to present our church. I'm just here to tell you this is a defining characteristic of Crossroads Church. This needs to be a place where anyone can embrace Jesus. Could we all agree that embracing Jesus is a good thing, right? And anybody who wants to embrace him can, if they really want to embrace him, this is, this is the place to come. We just really want to say that. And I want... Huh? Even... <laughs> yes. And I want... <laughs> And I, okay, so I'm going to close with Romans 10. And I've closed, I've, I've quoted this verse many, many, many times, probably more than any other verse um, that I've quoted, and it's this. For everyone who calls on the name of Christ, name on the Lord, will be saved. Everyone, everyone, doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter around your background, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter what you have done. And I want to show you back up and give you also the preceding verse because it kind of illuminates this. I want to show you what comes right before this. Verse 12, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I'm looking at a room that is largely Caucasian. There's exceptions. Doesn't matter. If you are part of the category of all, Scripture says that you can be saved by calling on the name of Christ. And I offer that to you now. If you've never called on him and said, I know, I know 
I've got my issues and I'm not proud of them. And if you recognize, just recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and, and, and there is no other way to the Father except through him. That's what he said. You can't take the position that Christ was just a really nice, good teacher unless you also say he was a liar or else he was telling the truth. No one comes to the Father except through him and all who call on on him will be saved. If you've never done that, I encourage you today to call on the name of Jesus and say, Lord, save me. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter where where you were born or the color of your skin. In fact, I can't think of anybody who chose that. Nobody had a choice of the color of their skin or where they were born, right? Did any of you pick? No, no, you you picked it. It just doesn't matter. So we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, and I think that every single one of us can do that. Let's pray. Lord, I ask God for...